It has been said that music will calm the savage beast. But when it is spiritual songs, hymns, and psalms, as the scripture says, songs like that, it goes much more than that. It puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Uh, I looked at Jimmy, and Jimmy looked at me because those are songs that are very near and dear to our heart, especially that first one. Um, now, I know my dad doesn't do internet much, but mother may show it to him if we record this, uh, but dad, you know the truth. Dad can't sing, uh, but one that he could always sing that we wouldn't make fun of him was the song probably nearest and dearest to his heart, which was that first one. And it puts it all in perspective. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Sweetest name I know. Now think about that. Think about that in perspective of life, which is what we're going to look at this morning. So turn to Ecclesiastes 2 and thinking about this whole perspective on life. You see, Becky's mother, uh, her birthday would have been February 27th, and uh, she, was, she was original now. She was original. Uh, and she came from a Pentecostal holiness background. Uh, and sometimes it would be a little over the top for me, but she would also reel me in along the way because it was so basic with her uh, she said, if Satan goes to bother you and things are going, coming against your life, you just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And that's biblical. It's biblical. Satan and all of his angels, all the demons has to flee at the name of Jesus. We know that when Jesus came to the man who was possessed with the demons, they were like, what, what do you have to do with us? What do we have to do with you? He said, nothing, get out from him. And they went out into the swine and rushed down into the water and committed suicide. That's pretty good. It's old as the hills, but it still works. Uh, the truth is that no matter where Satan was, and the, world's, the, the world is Satan's domain. God's word tells us that over and over and over because of sin. But when Jesus comes on the scene, all through the gospels, when Jesus comes, if Satan's there, he leaves when Jesus gets there. Because there's nothing he can do about it. And when Jesus is dying on the cross, this always overwhelms me. When Jesus is dying on the cross, we know that Satan thought he's rubbing his hands and man, he is just, he's so excited because he thinks he has finally gotten the upper hand. And then all the scripture, because the Bible says that Satan knows all those scriptures that have been written, not in foreknowledge, but in looking back, he's heard the prophets say it and all of this. And so he starts thinking about Isaiah 53 he starts remembering what God told him, the serpent in the garden in chapter 3. He was like, I have played right into God's hands. And so he tells the Roman soldier, he, 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 he tempts him. He says, tell him to get off the cross. The one place that Satan wanted him, now he realizes he don't want him there. And God orders in love, the vicarious death of his son, and they crucify him. And Satan is forever vanquished. And we see some of you that told me you were studying 1 Corinthians this week. And some of you, we, we, I questioned them, Brooke, and I was like, well, what, what is the love chapter, chapter 13? I said, what's the resurrection chapter? And they said, I don't know if we got that. I said, it's 15. In chapter 15, you get to the end, and, and he talks about death and, and hell uh, and, and the sting of sin and the grave. And he says, Jesus has conquered it all. Now, this is not the message 
per se today, but it is the message that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Ecclesiastes 2, as we talked about the perspective, you know, when, when you hear that, and I looked over and I said, Elaine, are you singing today? She said, I'm just playing. I said, what are you playing? Sing medley. I said, you're going to play the sing medley and just play. And I was giving her a hard time because I love to hear her sing. But, well, that was beautiful, wasn't it? But, you know, for a moment, I forgot about all the problems of life listening to those songs. For just a moment, I was back at Corner Baptist Church hearing the choir and the church singing those songs. Those wonderful songs. Hymns of the faith. And I love all the songs we sung this morning. No, I'm, not, I'm not in the worship where I, I love anything that uplifts Jesus, okay? But for a moment, I just kind of put everything aside as I sat and listened. And it kind of put things in perspective. Well, you know, Solomon, as we have talked about in this laboratory of life, it was about perspective. Solomon, as a young man, God had blessed with wisdom beyond any to compare. And he had built great riches of which the world said the half could not even be told. But in the midst of all of this victory in life and all of grabbing uh, uh, everything the world has and living in the lap of luxury, he took his eyes off the prize. And we see him falter and fail in so many ways of the flesh. But now as an old man, he pins down this perspective that he had, this perspective that he has now. And so we look today at, is life worth living? Is life worth living? All of you art aficionados. Do you know who painted that or what the name of that painting is? Salvador Dali. My favorite artist. Do you know the name of the picture? No, that's, that's the one that's got three of them. This one's called The Melting Watch. It was pinned... Uh, are, are drawn somewhere between 1929 and 1954. Salvador Dali was a surrealist. And I know this is not art appreciation, but you'll understand what, where this is going. He was a surrealist. He, he saw no logic in anything. He said everything is basically chaos. And if you look at this picture very closely, the numbers are coming off the watch. The watch is just melting into oblivion. It's exploding. There's a moth right below my word living there that kind of plays into the scripture that where he said the things of this world are temporal and where the rust corrupts and moths eat things up. You'll notice that on the face of the watch that it is literally in a couple of places jumping off the face of the watch and knotted up. Time in our perspective is either a life to be grabbed and to be milked for everything it's worth and then seen as completely futile as Dolly pinned or it is a life looked at through gospel glasses as a life worth living what separates even believers is that so many believers have taken their eyes off the prize. That prize, Paul said, I see and I is a mark for me to keep moving forward till that day. Against that day, that day of resurrection, that day of redemption. But so many of us see today and we become hopeless. We're helpless without a real, true, biblical perspective. And so today, look with me in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 12. And Solomon wrote, And I turned myself 
to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that comes after the king? In other words, he said, what, what can any man do that comes after me that hasn't already been done? He said, even that which hath been already done. See, I'm the king, I am wealthy, I am wise, I've been foolish, I've been mad, I have done it all. What can anyone else do to improve on this? Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. It's good to be wise. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event Happens to them all. Well, that's some cold, hard, stark facts right there. Wisdom and fools alike all end up with the undertaker untying their shoes. And he said, then, said I in my heart, as it happens to the fool, so it happens even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than that of the fool forever. Seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool? Therefore I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun... Is grievous unto me for all his vanity and vexation of spirit. I want to ask you to do something. Right now, I want you to just close your eyes where you're at. Just close your eyes. Close your eyes. It's March 2018, if anyone were unsure about that. March 2018. Let's just try to stretch our mind in perspective with your eyes closed to if the Lord has not come back to the year 2118. 21, 100 years from now. Close your eyes. And I want you to think about no one else but yourself. Is anything in your life right now, will it have impacted the world in such a way that there'll even be a glimmer of remembrance that you ever took up air on this third rock from the sun? Where are you living in perspective to eternity? What is it that you're living for and living about? So many, keep your eyes closed. So many of us think, if I don't go to work, then they can't, they can't succeed without me. If I don't do this, if I get mad and quit church, they just won't be able to live without me. That my kids can't do anything without me. You got that picture in your mind? Now look at me. It's like that big picture of the Milky Way. And there's this arrow pointing down with all the stars and everything in its circular activity. And there's this big arrow pointing down to this one little spot that says, you're here. And it gives us this idea of being so little in this vast galaxy that's among other galaxies. And if you look at it from this perspective... This is what it looks like. My first point. Life is hard, then you die. That's what Solomon is saying. Have you ever said that? I've said that. Life's hard, then you die. People that work for me. Oh, man. I can't. And I've whined and complained. And, man, I've got to go out there and work on that roof today. And it's 98 degrees. And I've got to go out and do this. And it's... 13 degrees and all this and man, everything and it doesn't matter. You pay bills, you got more bills. Hey, life's hard, then you die. Take God out of the equation. Is that not true? Am I telling you anything that's a lie? 
Solomon said it long before me, but he said it's always been happening since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. So I want us to see the different views of life based on Solomon. It's about perspective. Notice what he said there in verse, I believe it's verse maybe 17. Therefore, I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun. You remember what we talked about this phrase, how it's repeated over and over some 29 times under the sun, under the sun. He's saying everything that is where man's domain is without God under the sun down here in this temporal watch wearing life where it looks like everything is just melting and time is a knot and the numbers are jumping off our lives, and nothing seems to be logical. Everything is just utter chaos, he said, his life under the sun. And so he viewed it. Notice the three people, the three areas of people that he mentioned in verse 12. I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. Now I want you to look with me on the, on the page here. Viewed from the present... That's what a fool does. He looks at today and says, this is what I'm going to get. This is what I'm going to try to succeed with. The drug drug user sees his next fix. What can I do to get my next fix? He's not worried about the 10th fix from now. He just needs that next one. When they go to tweaking... And they go to going into DTs, it's the next drink, it's the next fix. For some, it's the next dollar, it's the next paycheck, it's the next home run, it's the next three-pointer, it's the next degree, it's the next relationship, it's the next this. It's the ne- but someday, Solomon said, the next will stop. But the fool doesn't see that. That's why we talk about young people, think they just... You know, they get up every day, they get up in a new world. And they wake up, and I remember, man, you're talking about, y'all just don't understand, those of you who didn't grow up in my generation. The greatest thing on earth was to get up on a beautiful, crisp Saturday morning. The windows are open. We actually opened our windows. And there'd be a cool breeze blowing through the house, and the wonderful, heavenly scent of pine soul would be lofting through the air. And on the TV was Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote and Daffy Duck. And even though Wiley Coyote did his dead level best to kill that Roadrunner, nobody ever died. They didn't. Well, somebody told me one time, Popeye, Popeye come on Sunday morning. You remember that? Popeye came on Sunday morning. And I'm talking about the black and white version. The old before color. It came on on Sunday, Trey Price Bay. That's right, I remember that. They used to say Popeye was the most violent Cartoon, because I mean they're always fighting over something. Nobody ever got hurt. The thing is, it was wonderful. It was joyous. And when mom would be going through the house, and I thought life was coming to an end because I had to vacuum, Art had to dust, and Chris never had to do anything. <laughs> but life was grand. His life had no bills. I knew mom was, mom and dad was going to feed us that night. Knew we was going to get up on Sunday morning. Wasn't no question. Listen to me now. There was no question. We were going to Sunday school before we went to church. Because my mom and dad taught us, you didn't know everything. And you needed to go learn something about Jesus. And so those precious people that I've mentioned over and over and over were there in that class waiting on us heathen 7, 12 year olds 11 year olds, 18 year olds, 14 year olds 5 year olds, they're waiting on us with a smile on their face and love in their heart to tell us about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
to start interjecting a perspective that this is not all there is. And now, Saturdays are different. All they want to talk about is remodeling some old house. I'm like, man, I used to do that for a living. Now people want to watch this stuff. I don't want to watch something that I had to work and do. I mean, where's cartoons? Boomerang has even left its moorings. Man, I could go back and watch McGilla Gorilla, and I could watch Penelope Pitstop. Can't even find them on there anymore. My point is life in perspective. When we're young, we, we're like, man, life, life is grand. We're going to live forever, but it's in the foolishness of not knowing But when you start understanding and you still reject it, he said, I looked, he said in verse 12, at folly. Just this, just whatever. What's the next thing we can plan to go to? I'm interested in going here. and It kills me on Facebook. It'll be like, all these people are interested in going to this event. Maybe you want to go. Why would you think that I want to do what they want to do? So now the computer's telling me what I should be interested in. I'm telling you, the, the computer wars are coming. When Alexa, Cortana, and Echo, and they all rise up and they eat you at night. It's coming. I hear people all the time talking about they laugh crazy and that. They're answering stuff and you don't even ask them anything. That's what a wife or a husband's for. That was nervous laughter. He said life is hard, then you die under the sun. And, And the fool views it from the present, doesn't see that. But then the wise views it from reality. But what happens when we, as wise, view it from reality? And we say, yeah, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. But we don't enjoy where we're living now. We're just like, well, what's the use? That's fatalism. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And this is where people get so wrapped up in thinking, well, there's no use in even living. It's all going to be the same. This can be very depressing if you don't read the end of the chapter. We'll get to the conclusion in a moment. The reality is we're going to die. Isn't it odd? Isn't it just absolutely strange that we can follow our loved ones to the cemetery and somehow block out of our mind that one day they're going to come take us there? But it's true. And the older we get when we walk in faith, if we live like Paul did, then we will embrace the idea and the truth that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That it's really when we say, how are you doing today? Well, it's better than an alternative. As a Christian, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's a lie. That is a lie. Because to be absent from this body means to be absent from temptation, absent from tears, absent from sickness, absent from heartache. Absent from this earthly temporal work that destroys us and all the worldly wealth that will be burned up in time. And to be present in the eternal glory that is God. And somewhere in the middle is madness. He said, I looked at wisdom, madness, and folly. Madness is denying them both. That, hey... We're just a blob that just popped out of somewhere and it's just going to be like this. And so, carpe diem, live like you want to and seize the day. Get all you want, get all you can, and don't worry about hurting anybody's feelings on your way. The shame is there's people who name the name of Christ that live that lifestyle. They say, well, business is business and Church is church. I'm going to tell you something. If you're born again, everything you do is church business. Because you're a member of the church. When you go out and live like the devil, you are a representation of the body of Christ. No wonder the world don't want anything to do with Jesus based on the testimony and the way 
Christians live. And we justify it. We justify our sinful habits. We justify racism. We justify a, a, a right uh, of a woman's choice. And we justify all this stuff when we know God's word says you don't have a choice. You have been bought with a price. You're not your own. So do we go through as robots? Then life really is hard. Are we just mindless slaves that has no opportunity to grasp life? Well, I'm glad you asked that. He says, I hated life because the work that it wrought under the sun is grievous unto me for all its vanity and vexation of spirit. Listen, for some, it's just ignorance is bliss. I used to have an old preacher friend of mine. He was a retired Georgia State Patrol. He's with the Lord now. But Mac would say, you know, if ignorance is bliss, then some folks are the happiest people out on earth. Because they're just ignorant of everything. They, they, they're willfully ignorant of the fact that there is a payday someday. That Sunday's coming. The wages of sin is death. When you take your paycheck or your social security check or your retirement check, you take it to the bank, you expect money to be in your account or them to hand you money, don't you? You, you know, maybe you deposit it all and they can just give you that little white piece of paper. It's got some numbers on it. But you say, I, I got money somewhere so I can use a debit card or I can write a check or I can do whatever. You expect it to be there because you put it in there. Wouldn't it be ignorant just to think life just goes on without any, any repercussions or that anything has to be done? What if the bank says, what, what money? I, I don't know what you're talking about. But there's a paper trail. You can follow. But people are ignorant in life of, of, of checks and balances, debits and credits. They do not understand that where the... Work is the wage will be paid. And the sad thing is too much of our work is that which is sinful. And we're going to reap from gardens we wish we would have never sown. Ignorance is bliss. And he says life is a burden. He literally said, I hate life. The man who had it all. It has been said that half of us are working and killing ourselves. For what the other half wished they'd never got. Truth. It's all about the money. It's all about the cars. It's all about the houses. It's all about the vacations. It's all about, hey, they got it. Why can't I have it? Well, I don't know. Maybe God says you can have it. Maybe you don't. But it's not those things. It's Christ. It's our perspective. Solomon said, I had all the things. I had it. I had life by a string. I had done everything in my life. Did not matter. I hated my life. I get up in the morning. I had any woman I wanted. I could eat anything I wanted. I had all the land as far as I could see. I could ride on the best of horses. The greatest of chariots. I had everything. And I was miserable. I was miserable. Some folks work all their life. To get to some point that they've set out there as a target for happiness. And once they reach it. They retire and say I've made it. And they die. Because they realize. It was a mirage. Happiness is fleeting in this world. You see, look at back in verse 12. I turn myself to behold wisdom, madness, folly. For what can man do that cometh after the king? Even that which hath been already done. See, the sad truth is some will refuse to listen and learn from the past, though nothing has changed. The saint, listen to me. 
The same temptations that Adam and Eve faced are the same temptations that Solomon faced. Are the same temptations that Jesus faced and didn't give in. Are the same temptations that you and I face. Nothing's changed. It's lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. It's still things that takes up an inordinate amount of time. It's still pride and arrogance. It's still hate and envy and strife that's destroying this world. It's still the sinful beggarly elements of this temporal globe that is destroying mankind. But it is still the cross of Jesus Christ that can save us from our sins. It's still God. We ain't got there yet. We're looking from that earthly perspective. Truth is, in this ignorance, this blissful ignorance, we just keep going through the same old stuff. I heard a message one time preached called looking forward to the past. How do you look forward to the past? Well, imagine that you're in formation. Those of you who have been in the military are in a marching band. and You're in formation and you're marching in a parade. And you're marching down this road and you're living in some place that doesn't pave the roads very well. And you're just, and they teach you when you march, you don't look at the ground when you march. You'll be all like this. You look at the head of the person in front of you, right? And so you're marching, you're in rhythm, you're in step, you're marching. If that guy or that girl in front of you happens to hit a pothole and they step down, you know you may have a split second, but you know there's a drop in front of you. You ever had to move a couch up or down steps and you were the one on the bottom? And the person on the top, they saw it. And what would they tell you if they really cared about you? I watch. Step, 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 step. I can remember my brother preaching and my, my nephew being gone. And I can remember one time taking my sister-in-law... She's just totally blind. And I come down and I grabbed her to take her up to the piano. And, and I say, okay, step, step, here's step. Here's, she said, I got it. I've been up here before. I got it. But I was trying to help her and lead her. And she was probably leading me. The truth is, you see the things that are in front of you that others can't see. Parents, we, we want our kids to march in line and step where they can see the potholes we've stepped in. When there's a turf monster, there's a little rise and stub your toe, they can see when you stumble and they'll know, walk easy the next few steps. You look forward to the past and you see, and listen, older men and women, hear me today. You are so vitally needed for this younger generation to see and don't live like you've never had a problem. Don't live that lie. Live a life where your perspective is, I want my faults and failures to be reflective of God's amazing grace so that the younger generation, not to brag on my sin, but to brag on my Savior so they won't step in the same hole. Does that make any sense? Looking forward to the past means that we want to help those who are living this hard life. But then look, life's unfair. Life's just unfair. We've all said this. Because if, if you've been 15 and you wanted to drive somewhere but you wasn't 16 just yet, or you were 16... And your parents didn't have what your buddy's parents had. And so you didn't get a brand new truck or car handed to you. Or because your time to come home on Saturday night because you got up and go to, go to Sunday school, you had to be home at 11 o'clock, not 1230 like all your buddies. Then you have uttered these words. Life's unfair. Y'all unfair. Why can't I, everybody else hear me? Life's just unfair. Well, they got a raise. Why didn't I get a raise? I was more, why didn't I get that job? Why did they get a job? Why? I'm more qualified. I'm smarter. I'm prettier. I'm this. Why did they win? Why did they do this? Listen, life is unfair. He said in verse 18, yes, I hated all my work. 
He said, I've hated life, now I hate work. I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. This is just mind-boggling. We build our kingdoms up, but Solomon said, I've got the greatest kingdom of them all on this earth, but I'm going to die and leave it to somebody. And they're going to jack it up. They're going to mess it up. Listen, I love to watch the old car shows and stuff like that, and there's nothing that drives me more insane than to see someone take a numbers-matching original 60-something Camaro or something. I don't care what they do to Fords or Mopars. But to take a good Chevrolet and, and mess that thing up. I mean, do something crazy to it. Cut out the fender wells. Put, take the original motor out. and Put some big honky-tonk racing motor. Do, it, it's, it, it, they ought to go to jail for it. To mess up that which is original. But the point is, the people who had it and the people who've got it had different versions of it. The generation after us will not appreciate what we appreciate. You hear what I'm telling you? You can stand there and show it to them all you want. Say, look, this is a genuine Shaquille O'Neal rookie card. I mean, I watched him play, and he come to Glenville and play. He would play at Fort Stewart and play in class and blah, blah. And you can give that to your grandkid, and they're like, how much is it worth? They don't care where he played. They don't care who he played for. They don't care. They want to know what's it worth. So oh, this was your granddaddy's pocket knife. And they're out there hacking on something with it, breaking the tip off. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Solomon is telling us the truth of all this. I want to ask you, what will you leave behind? Things? You're going to live behind things? There's nothing truer to the temporal, sinful madness of this world than to watch siblings fight over something their parents worked hard to give them. But they do it every day. Sue each other. These are kids who slept in the same room. Who loved and hugged on each other. Supported each other. Had each other's back. And said, hey, we may fight amongst each other. But ain't nobody going to fight us. And they end up destroying each other from within. Over things. Things. Someone had some very wise advice one day. said, if you live with it, I can live without it. Let's move on. Here he said, things, you can't keep it, you can't protect it, and you won't enjoy it. There you have it. I've seen people that, that well, they say, greatest two days in a man's life is the day he buys his boat and the day he sells it. Oh, man, I want that boat, and then you get it, and it's nothing but work. You've got to charge batteries, you've got to put gas in it, you've got to keep it washed, and all this stuff rots because the water's running. It just drives you insane. Oh, I got to have this, I got to have that. But then you got to maintain it, and then you got to do all these things. Listen, things, Solomon said, I hated all of it because I would leave it to a man that should be after me. And who knows whether he shall be a wise wise man or a fool. Yet shall he have rule over all my labor wherein I have labored and wherein I have showed myself wise unto the Son. This also is. Is vanity. Man. He said, Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under sun. What's the use? For there's a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and equity. Yet to a man that hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity. Is your life useful or useless? Now there's, I'm not saying that we should not work hard and do our diligence to leave a positive influence behind. But I want you to hear some words from the great devotionalist Oswald Chambers. This was 
on March the 9th. And it was the PM. You know, the, the big devotion each day is the morning. A lot of us skip that evening. I want you to hear the evening. It was simply from the scripture in Luke 12. And the, the scripture was consider the lilies, how they grow. That's all it said. It's all the scripture he used. Consider the lilies, how they grow. Now I want you to hear what he said. Have you ever noticed the kind of pictures God gives to us saints? They're always pictures of creation, never pictures of men. God speaks of the unfailing stars and the upholding of the worm Jacob. He talks about the marvels of creation. We know he did it with Job. He does it throughout the Psalms. He does it in Romans declaring his creation and his creation declaring him so that man is without excuse. He said, and he makes his people forget the rush of business ideas and that stamp the kingdoms of this world. The Spirit of God says, do not take your pattern and print from those. The God who holds you is the God who made this world. Take your pattern from him. Consider the lilies. Our Lord always took his illustrations from his hand, father's handiwork. In illustrating the spiritual life, our tendency is to catch the tricks of the world, to watch the energy of businessmen, and to apply these methods to God's work. Jesus Christ tells us to take the lessons of our lives from the things men never look at. Consider the lilies. Behold the fowls of the air. How often do we look at the clouds or grass, sparrows or flowers? Why? We have no time to look at them. We're in the rush of things. It is absurd to sit dreaming about sparrows and trees and clouds. Thank God when he raises us to the heavenly places. He manifests in us the very mind that was in Christ Jesus unhasting and unresting, calm, steady, and strong. It's not about man. It's about God and his creation. We've got to get our perspective in focus because, listen to me, God, good works does not equal a good ending. You can join every civic organization in the world. You can join every church you, want, you can join. I mean, you can cram in and, and join every church just to cover your bases. And you can help blind kids. You can help old veterans. You can help stray animals. But good works does not equal a good ending. Let me ask you something. Was there a thief on the cross that, as far as we know, never had one good event that was positive in works, but Jesus said he would be with him in paradise? Did Jesus say that or not? Do we believe one of the, one of the thieves on the cross is in heaven today? Do we believe that? And why do we believe that? Because it wasn't about him. It was about the one beside him. It was about the vicarious death of Jesus Christ and the blood being applied to that sinner. Hear me today. The third thing, life is hard, then you die. Boy, that's, boy preacher, that's depressing. Life is unfair. Well, I already knew that. Well, I'll come to church. I want to feel better. I want to tell you, there's enough feel-good places. We need to understand the wretchedness of our sins. We need to understand the brokenness of our systems. We need to understand how cloudy our foolish, mad perspective on life is. To get all we can get. And then realize what Solomon tells him. In verse 24. There's nothing better. Now, by the way, as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, there's going to be six conclusions through all these labs that he runs, there's going to be six conclusions. And today we see the first one. 
There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. You said, but he just said it was all vanity. Yes, apart from God. But when it is given and understood that it is from the hand of God, we understand that life can be useful, not useless. Right? Why are you teaching your Sunday school class? Is it because you think it, just, it can't be taught unless you teach it? Or is it because God's got a calling on your life? Why do you sing in the choir? Because Michelle worries you to death? Or because the preacher gets up and hounds on you? Or because you have a song in your heart and you want to worship your Savior, who is Christ the Lord? Why do you do what you do? Do you show up at a deacon's meeting just hoping to hurry up and get it over with? Or glad because God has chosen you to serve his tables at east side. Does it aggravate you, preacher, that other things get in your way and then you've got to spend your Saturday afternoon studying and getting ready so you can preach the word of God? If so, quit and go find something else to do. But if Jesus is worth it, the first conclusion, when it sinks into our heart, he said, who can eat or who else can hasten here unto more than I? For God gives to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he gives travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Where do we see this in the New Testament? We see this principle played out in a parable. That Jesus taught. It's called the parable of the talents. And the wise servants took the talents and they went and they invested it for their master. And when it came time, the one who did nothing, it was taken from him. And it was given to those who gave their work unto the Lord. Am I right? The first conclusion that Solomon teaches us in the book of Ecclesiastes, though all this world is vain and vanity and vexation of spirit and life is hard and life can be hated and everything is unfair, but when we see life through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and our Creator, life is worth living because He is. That's what the song says, isn't it? And life is worth the living just, not and, just because he lives. We're just three or four weeks from Easter. But we worship today because of that day. We worship tonight. We worship tomorrow. We study God's word. We pray. We witness. We share. We play basketball. We have booths. We do all these things because he lives. I don't know if you're connecting this third point after the first two may have been really downers. I want you to really get this now. Life may be hard and life is unfair, but life is worth living when you are a believer in Christ. He said, listen, not for a sinner, the travail is going to be miserable. Are you lost and on your way to hell? Does it feel like you're spinning your wheels? Does it do you know in your spirit that if you die today, you will die separated from the grace of Almighty God? You can fake it with your spouse. You can fake it with your church. You can fake it with your children. You can fake it with your parents. But I'm going to tell you, you will not fake it with God. Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say that you're Elijah or Isaiah or one of them. He kind of just asked it kind of as a group, didn't he? And he's looking around and he's asking. And then the worst thing for any college student or anybody in a high school class or anybody in a Sunday school class, for that matter, he turns around out of all those disciples and asking He's just kind of saying, who, do men, who, do, who does men say that I am? And they start throwing out stuff. 
But then he turns, and I believe with that same finger that wrote on the wall that you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting, and the same finger that drew in the dust as the men came to stone the woman, the same finger that draws the rainbows after the rain, pointed and looked right at Peter and said, but who do you say that I am? Here's the question. They come to the instruments. You can join in with your group, with your Youth ministry, you can join in with your parents, you can join in with each side, but God's asking you today, who do you say that I am? Am I the God of eternity? Am I the God who created this world? Am I the God that can make your life worth living? Are you persistent on living a life of madness and folly? Of going through life with no meaning and just beat down because you're trying to get things that you can't keep, you can't protect it, and you'll never enjoy it because somebody else will. It's time to fall on your face before it's too late and say, God, may I give my life wholly and completely to you for you are the only one. There's people here today, I have no doubt in my mind, there's people here today that's living in a depressed, despondent way that are separated from the victory that is Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus. Don't come to Matt. Don't come to Isaac. Come to Jesus. You've got problems in your marriage. Come to Jesus. You've got relationship problems, financial problems, health problems. Listen, I'm not a healer. But I know the great physician. I know the Savior. Come and pray. Because why? You know, he said it's all, it's all vanity. It's all a waste of time apart from God. And so some of us are happy because we get to whine about how hard life is. When we know if we would give it to God, God could change it. Are you willing to let God change your life? If so, then come to him today. Stand and come. I'll be glad to pray with you. Come. Come to Jesus.